You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. All right. Our scripture for today is Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he, anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kiara. We are continuing in the book of Philippians, and um, this has been very good for a lot of you, and uh, I've been very excited to hear from so many of you who have said that God has been speaking to you out of the book of Philippians, some very distinct things about your life, and that's great. One of the themes in this book that uh, is sort of like really a standout theme is the idea of joy, all right? And uh, it's throughout this letter to the church at Philippi. We just hear again and again this thing of joy. Um, And the Christian life should be filled with joy. That's very, very important for us that we are a people that are walking in joy, living in joy, relating to each other in joy. Um, However, there are a lot of circumstances in our lives and a lot of people uh, around that can actually rob us of our joy. Um, And that's a very real thing uh, in the church. But also, things can rob us of our joy. Uh, And uh, this is one of the great thieves, if you will. Um, And Paul deals with this here in Philippians chapter 3. Now, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in things. Uh, So easy. They're they're available. (laughs) They're there. And, And... People in the world and the, the, just the sort of the, the, the whole mantra of the world seems to be the more I have, the happier I'll be. The more I can get, the more joy I, I will experience, that sort of thing. Uh, so there's all these kinds of things that can, can be meaningful to us and they don't necessarily have to be evil in and of themselves, but they rob us of a great deal of our joy and our energy, but also there are a number of things that rob us that are the intangibles. By that I mean things like our reputation, things like fame or success or achievement or uh, the things that, that we do, not necessarily the things that we have, even the things we think, the mindsets that we hold that capture us, all right? And so these things can really extract from us the very joy 
I believe that God wants us to have. And Jesus warns us in the scriptures that our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. At least, it should not. All right? But we turn right around as Christians oftentimes and fall into that entrapment where we begin for some reason to believe the opposite. We spin it all the way around, we flip it, and it becomes, even in the church, a sense of the more I have and the more I do and the more I accomplish, the better of a Christian I'll be. I'll please God. I'll get somewhere with God. And for some, it even translates to there I will finally be saved or I'll be okay in that place. And that's such a lie of hell. And, and I want this morning for us to focus a bit more on, on this idea that, that quantity is absolutely no assurance of quality, especially when it comes to our spiritual walk or our, our, our spiritual life, all right? And there are many people uh, who have things that, that money can, can buy, uh, but they've lost in the process the things that money can't buy. And that's where I want us to find ourselves this morning. That's where I want us to to sort of look into our own heart, okay? Because we can be snared by both the tangibles and the intangibles. And the result of that snare is the loss of our joy and, and, and our gratitude to God. So I want you to consider this morning that a key word out of this passage that Kiara read to you today is the word to count, all right? And, and, and I want us to look at our lives and sort of take an inventory, if you will. Let's take an account. That word actually means to evaluate and, and to assess. So that's what I'm hoping will happen as I'm preaching to you this morning, is that you will begin to evaluate and to assess where you are, not only in the tangibles, in that corridor of the things that you might possess, but in the intangibles. What are the motives that are driving you? Why are they driving you? What are the things that you are after, all right, in your life? What, what do you see as value? What do you see as having worth in this life? And so we are going to sort of do this little bit of evaluation, hopefully by the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning. Socrates was quoted once as saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And yet there are many of us in God's family that we live without looking and examining or, or, or searching our heart. King David said, search me, oh God. Search me and see if there is anything against you. If there is any unclean aspect of my life, search me out. Uh, look at me deeply. And this is a challenge that I think we, we need to grab a hold of, is that it is good to look at our lives. Now, I'm not talking about navel-gazing. I'm not talking about just constantly looking at yourself and looking at yourself in some critical mode or, or some, some self-demeaning kind of way. I'm not talking about going on a binge like that. I'm, I'm saying, can we assess? In other words, can we look in such a way as we are assessing the, the motives behind what we do and our decisions that we make, and, and not only that, where we are going and the possessions that we have and all these kinds of things. But most of all, I want to focus on those intangibles today because I think those have sort of a more sophisticated way of getting into our head and our heart and really pulling us away from God, and we don't even realize it. We don't even know or understand that. People are 
slaves, if you will, of things. And the result of that enslavement is that we don't experience the, the, the joy of the Christian life. Now, in Paul's case, the things that, uh, that he was living before he knew Christ seemed to be very commendable things. All right, we're not talking about horrible sins and, and dark places or dark corridors of the heart or something here. He had, a, he had a religious life. He had obedience to the law. He was in, in zealous defense of the religion of his fathers, all right? These are very noble things, but none of these things satisfied Paul or Saul of Tarsus. None of these things satisfied him, nor did they give him acceptance with God. And Folks, you and I are never going to be fully satisfied until we feel accepted by our God. That is the place of absolute fulfillment. That is the place we have to come to. That is the place we have to land. All right? So, like, like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality, if you will, to keep him out of trouble. All right? In, in, in that sense of the word. But, but he didn't have enough righteousness to get him to heaven. <laughs> All right? And, 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 and it, it was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. Some of the things were very good. He had a great education. He had achieved much. He had accomplished a lot. He was of a good lineage. He had heritage. He had history. He had all these kinds of things that were very good things. They're very noble things. But folks, the reality is the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, had to get rid of, lose, if you will, his religion in order to find his salvation. And I want that to sink into us today. We look at other cultures and we look at other religions and we say, well, we know that they are not close to God or they don't have God or that's wrong. Uh, and and we, we sort of simplify it down to that kind of assessment. You know, well, that's not God and that's wrong and that's not theologically right, so that's out and we look at all of those kinds of things. Um, but sometimes we live in our world that can be filled with a lot of religion and activity and forget that we also can move far away from God if we are idolatrous to these things that we are holding on to and placing value upon. That can actually keep us away from Christ, not draw us to Christ. So I think he had to lose his religion to find his salvation. One day, um, you know, Saul of Tarsus, the rabbi, he met Jesus. He met the Son of God. And something happened to Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. And what I believe really happened is that there was a huge value shift that took place. Yes, there was some dramatic, miraculous intervention when Jesus and and Saul encountered each other. When Saul, now Paul, opened uh, sort of his, his, his books, if you will, to evaluate himself, his, his own accomplishments, his own wealth, and, and all of this stuff, I think he discovered that apart from Jesus, everything that he had lived for, and he says it further down, it became rubbish at that moment. So, so somewhere in here, there's a huge turn. There's a real flip in value. All right, 
And those things that he had actually valued the deepest and the most were now nothing. He calls them, actually he calls them worse than rubbish, okay? <laughs> he's very, he's, he's really quite blunt here, all right? And, and, and he explains in this section, if you will, that we're talking about today, that, that there are only two kinds of righteousness. This is his sort of assessment, or, or two types, if you will, we'll call it spiritual wealth. And that is works righteousness and faith righteousness. And what I'm going to tell you is that faith righteousness is the only acceptable way to God. You just, you can't get there with works righteousness. You can't get there with these works, all right? So let's look at this just a little bit. Let me take you through the first three verses to begin with, and let's talk about that just a little bit, okay? First, let's look at his exhortation here. He says in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, find your joy. Take your joy. Stand in your joy, all right? To write the same things. Obviously, he's written this kind of thing before. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for me to do this. I'm going to repeat myself because it's good for you that I would do that. And then this is what he says in this this exhortation. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In other words, there's these these, like this, this triad of warnings here that goes out. He says, for we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We who are believers in Christ, followers, we we who are the Christians, we are the, the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And here's what he says, and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul has warned the believers in Philippi probably before, but he's now warning them again, and he's saying that, that, you need to watch out here. Now, who is, who is he or from whom is he referring that they should be aware or be, be careful or watch out? Paul's referring to a group of false teachers here, people who are called Judaizers. And he's using three different terms to describe them. First, he says, they're dogs. You, you watch out for these dogs. These were, you know, the Orthodox Jew would call the Gentile a dog. But it's interesting that here now Paul is calling the Orthodox Jew the dog. You know, and, and so it, 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 it might bear well for you to just think about a dog for just a moment, all right? I can't believe I'm preaching this to you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm not fond of animals necessarily. And dogs are in particular one of those creatures that I'm not overly fond of. And, and, and I think that using dog in this sort of like way is very appropriate, okay? Um, so he, <laughs> he's saying here, all right, hey, here, here are these people and these Judaizers. They, they, in other words, they kind of are, they're, they're pesty and they snap at your heels and they follow you from place to place and they're barking all kinds of false doctrines all around you. They're just troublemakers and they carry infection and, you know, they're just, they're terrible. They're terrible. Don't have anything to do with them. All right. And, 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 I mean, Paul is adamant here. This is a huge, like, slam to the Orthodox teachers here. And he's, he's making no bones about it. But he goes even further. You, they're not just dogs. They're evil workers. And, like, they're intent on doing this work. It's not just uh, a random thing here and there. And you find this stray Judaizer, and, and you go and euthanize them or something, you know. It, it, it is a situation where there is a, an, an overt 
an intentional work here of these false teachers. And they are trying to teach sinners that they are saved by faith plus their good works, especially the works of the law. And, of course, we know from Ephesians chapter 2 and, and Titus chapter 3 and others uh, that nobody is saved by doing good works, even religious works. No matter how good the work is, the work can't save you. And a Christian's good works are the result of his faith, not the basis for his salvation. And I want you to understand that this morning. I want you to let that sink into you. Why do you do the things you do? I'm not talking about overt sins now. We know why you do those. Your sin nature rises up. You say okay to it and you fall into temptation and you fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's very simple. You know, I'm not talking about I'm, I, I'm talking about why, what motivates you to do things for God? What motivates you to work in the church? What motivates you to live a moral life? What motivates you to, to incorporate the, the disciplines in your life? Are you doing and doing and doing all these things in order that you can be saved? They're not going to save you. They never will. They never did. They never will. All right? And so, so these Individuals who are teaching this are teaching very contrary to the Christian faith. All right. Then he goes on and, and basically speaks to them as those who mutilate the flesh. In other words, those who require circumcision of uh, the men. These, these Judaizers taught circumcision was essential to salvation. But Paul states it very differently. And he's saying circumcision of itself is only a mutilation. It's just a cutting of the flesh. The true Christian has experienced a spiritual circumcision in Christ. We are circumcised of the heart. And, and so we don't need any fleshly operations. Okay? Circumcision, baptism, the Lord's Supper, tithing... Any other religious practice is not going to save a person from his sins. Only faith in Jesus Christ does that. But as a result of that faith in Christ and being born again, we fulfill other aspects of our faith and we enjoy them and they are right and rich and good for us. Your communion is not going to save you. But it's so going to enrich your life as a believer. Your baptism isn't going to save you. But your baptism, whatever mode of baptism you choose, is going to enrich your life. But you'll never be able to barter anything with God, even the best of your efforts, even the best works in the house of the Lord are not going to change God's heart. His heart is for you. His heart is so for you that he took care of this issue from the work of the cross. And you don't have to deal with it. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. All right. So, so in contrast to these, these false Christians of verse 3, Paul describes true Christians. And he says, we're the true circumcision. Those who are circumcised of the heart. Um, 
we are, we are the, the, the truth. We are in the truth. We are in the light of Jesus Christ. A good parallel for you to read is to go later today sometime and just read Romans chapter 2, a few verses in there. Read some of Romans and just see the parallel here of, of what he, he says there. He's saying we worship God in the Spirit. All right? We, he, he, he's not depending on good works, all right? which are only of the flesh. But he's saying, hey, we've, we've got something more here. We're going to glory. We're going to boast, if you will. We're going we're to talk about Jesus. And, and people who depend on religion, what are they doing? They're usually boasting about their religion. They're boasting on their accomplishments. They're boasting on their merits. I think it's grand and great and marvelous if you pray two hours a day. But if you're praying for two hours a day, so you can tell everyone you're praying for two hours a day, and you feel like that two hours a day is what's going to make God happy with you, then stop praying. Because it's all messed up. It's all skewed in your heart and in your head. But if because you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you've appropriated that salvation, and out of the the fruit of that salvation, you want very much to spend two hours a day with Jesus. Praise the Lord. Then go for it. Do it. Bask in His presence. Enjoy Him. Love Him. Love on Him. That is an awesome thing to do. But please know that is not going to save you. See, the true Christian has nothing of which to boast in themselves. Their boast is only in Christ. And, and Jesus brings this out in several places himself, but Paul is just uh, reiterating that, if you will. He says, we have, he, he finishes this, these first three verses, this exhortation, he finishes this by saying, we don't have any confidence in the flesh. You know, there's, there's a lot of, sort of ideas out there and, and philosophies out there and thoughts out there. And, and a lot of that, you know, boils around to, well, the Lord helps those who help themselves. And you hear Christians quote that, you know, and it's like, stop, all right? That was, it, apparently it's as, as popular in Paul's day. We've got to help God save us. We've got to do some things. We've got, we've got to make it what, what God didn't do that wasn't good enough. What is that? This is our God, the Creator, who has done everything sufficiently and beyond. He gave His own Son to die on the cross for our sins. We are saved by that shed blood on the cross in the power of the resurrection. We are transformed and changed. We don't, folks, we're broken people. We can't add anything to what God has done. It's complete. We, we forget and, and maybe don't ever even understand the true ramifications of Jesus' words on the cross when he said, it is finished. It wasn't just that, well, I'm going to just give up the ghost and die now. I'm not going to stay here any longer. It was the work of eternity is done. It is done. It is finished. And there's never going to be a person that can't slide under this thing and experience this and they don't have to do anything for it. I paid the price. It's complete. It's finished. Paul 
is saying that old nature that we received at birth, it just is not good. There is nothing good about it, all right? There's nothing good to say about the flesh. And yet, you and I, if we're not careful, will find ourselves depending on our own flesh, our own ability, our own strength, our own efforts, our own mental ascent to get us to where we should be with God. And you know what? You can do that all day, and it's just going to be a battle of futility on your part if you do that. You cannot put your confidence in that flesh. Flesh only corrupts God's ways on this earth, all right? It profits nothing towards your spiritual life, or at least as your spiritual life is concerned. Um, it, has, it has nothing good in it, in and of itself. Um, and so we, we just don't need to be landing there where we're falling into this trap of putting confidence in our flesh. As I was preparing for this, I was reading a story. This one pastor was sharing, and he, he, was, he was talking about this lady who came to him, and she goes, um, and, and you could tell by the tone of his, of his, of his writing that there's this little old lady who came in, and she's like, you know, like, like and this is how I would picture her, but it's like, Pastor, about this matter, he had preached a sermon about um, the futility of works righteousness. And she, she says, she says you know, Pastor, um, about this matter of faith and, and works, I, I think that getting to heaven is, is like a, a rowing a boat, um, and, and one oar is faith, and the other oar is, is work. So if you use them both, you get there. But if you only have one, you just go around in circles. And the pastor said, well, there's one problem with your illustration, sweetheart, and that is that we ain't getting to heaven in a rowboat. Now, some of you, that, that, that doesn't ring any, any, any bells for you, but, but I... I when I read that, I was like, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that? You know, where have I heard this? Don't get to heaven in a rowboat. So I was like, I wonder if that's a song. And sure enough, it's kind of a song. But I, I just, you know, went on, on the search, you know. And uh, Aaron Carter wrote this song. And it, in my day, when I was a young man, um, this was, there was a popular song. It was a, it was a really dumb song. They called it the hand-clapping song, you know. But it, it went like this, I think, like, Three, six, nine, the goose drink wine, the monkey chewed tobacco on the streetcar line. The line broke, the monkey got choked, they all went to heaven in a little rowboat. Oh, yeah, now some of you old people got it, yeah. Mmm. You know, we used to go around singing that. They all went to heaven in a little rowboat, you know. Well, it's, it's all stupid, you know. Wine drinking geese and tobacco chewing monkeys and they're on streetcars and they're going to go to heaven in a rowboat. You know, it just uh, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it, because it was catchy and people could clap to it and it rhymed, everybody in the world was singing it for a while. It was, it was a big deal, you know, but it was stupid. Well, that's what Paul is saying. For you to, to fall into this thing, it doesn't make sense. It's stupid to believe that you can save yourself. It just, it, it's not right. And, and no matter what spin somebody puts on it, they can, they can package it so you can clap to it or dance to it or, or sing it or whatever. It's still stupid. Because you will never, ever hear me clearly this morning. There is only one good work that takes the sinner to heaven. And that 
is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And so that's where we have to land, all right? Okay, let's look a little further. Let's look at, at the example that he gives here. This is, this is amazing to me. So let's look at, starting at verse 4. He says, though I myself, now he puts himself right out there in, in front, okay? Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. In other words, I'm not going to put confidence in the flesh, although if, if anyone had reason to do that or could do that, I could do that. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have even more. In other words, he's, he's quite confident here that he's accomplished a lot, all right? And, and, and that a lot has been given to him, all right? And, and this is the other thing. No one else can give you your salvation. You know, I mean, Grandma can tell you whatever she wants to tell you, but she can't get you saved, all right? And when grandma starts giving you grandma's theology, you better go to the Bible and check it out. No, no dishonor to anybody's grandma here, all right? But if I had listened to my grandma while she was spitting snuff across me and holding me in her lap, I'd have gone to hell. Love your grandmas, but I'm, I'm more interested in you being with Jesus, okay? So... so He's saying, hey, I, I, I've got something here, and it's, some of it's been given to me, and I've earned some of it. He says, he says I was circumcised on the eighth day, the, the right day, the exact day, the proper day. So my circumcision is good, all right? I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the right people. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I got the culture. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I'm set apart. I'm above the... the the, 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 the normal or, or the average, if you will. I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. And we know he did. He killed the Christians. As to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. In other words, if you put me under a microscope and you looked at me, you're not going to find one single mark on me. I got it. If, if, I got it all from start to finish, top to bottom, in and out. I got it made. Paul was not speaking here from some ivory tower. He just personally knew the futility of trying to get his salvation by means of good works. As a, as a young man, as a student, he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the great rabbi. He, he had a career, if you will, as, as a, a young, upstart Jewish leader. It was a very promising career. And yet, he gave it all up for what? To become a hated member of the Christian sect. To be a part of the way, a preacher of the gospel. Why? Because he got it. He made the shift. He made the transition, if you will. All right? The Judaizers were actually very compromising because they didn't want persecution they wanted to avoid persecution in any way they could. But, but Paul here is saying being a, a true messenger of Christ, living under the grace, that, that is, is opening a door, if you will, for persecution. All right? But I value that more. And, and this is sort of his sort of autobiographical section here. 
And he's examining his own life here a little bit. He's making an assessment here. And he's saying, you know what? I had these things. They are, they are noble things. They are good things. They are big things. They are powerful things. But in the assessment, I realize that none of these things can get me where I need to go. So as far as, as obeying outwardly the demands of the law, he was a success. He was a success. But he was not stopping to consider the inward condition and what he was committing in his heart. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this very clear. He talks about sinful attitudes. He talks about sinful appetites. But, and he talks about sinful actions in our lives. And all of these come out of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Decisions are made. Thoughts are thought. Actions are committed, all right? And when he looked at himself and he looked at others, this Saul of Tarsus, he considered himself to be very righteous. He was very zealous and very righteous, but one day he stopped looking at people and he looked at Jesus. And with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, he saw something different. Yes, he had had a a major encounter with, with the Lord. But something had to change for Paul. Something had to shift for this man internally. And he had, to, he had to change, if you will, his value system. And that was when he changed. When he, when he started to make these evaluations and these values, he abandoned this works righteousness for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So here's what, here's what we, we, we go with right here. That is that good things can actually keep you away from Jesus. And only faith righteousness is acceptable to God. That's where, that's, where we, that's where we have to land, if you will, all right? Now, he goes to the next section, and he explains in this next section. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 7, he lost whatever was gained to him personally apart from God. Certainly, Paul had this great great reputation as a scholar. He was a religious leader. He was proud of his Jewish heritage. He was proud of his religious achievements. All these things were valuable to him. Hey, he could profit from this. This is is a place where he could be successful and he could profit. Not only that, he had many friends who admired this place he was in. They looked up to him. They they saw him as someone that was was very much going to be somebody. He was going somewhere if you will. But the day came where he measured these treasures, these, these important, valuable things against what Jesus Christ had to offer. And, and he realized that all that he had held dear was really nothing but this dung, as he describes it in the end. His, his earthly treasures brought him glory, but they did not bring glory to God. They were a gain to him, but it was a selfish gain. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul discredited. Please understand this. This does not mean that Paul in any way discredited his heritage as an Orthodox Jew. Um, you, you read his letters and you follow his ministry through the book of Acts, and you, you're going to see how that he valued both his Jewish blood and his Roman citizenship. Matter of fact, at, at times he pulled on both of them to help to promote the gospel. He used them in ways that he could to promote the gospel. So he, he didn't disvalue them. I'm not saying... Please understand this today. I'm not saying that your accomplishments are of no value. I'm saying there's something of a greater value. 
to you if you'll understand it and, and get it. All right? I'm not saying that the things that you're doing, you shouldn't do. Again, we're not talking here about sinful acts. We're not talking about rebellion and, and, and disobedience in that sense. Although, it is a condition of the heart that we're addressing here. But we're not talking about these outward things where you go watch porn or you, you, you do something else that is, that is an, an overt, obvious sin. Okay? We're talking about something that is stealth. Like, it, it comes in under the radar a lot of times, and it, it gets a hold of us. And it begins to move us. It begins to shape us. It begins to form us. And we start making decisions based on this place of what we have and what we can do and what we can get and how we can do it. And we leave God out of the plan. We leave God out of the equation. And suddenly the things that are very valuable to God are not so valuable to us because and now we're living this very frustrated and fruitless life because we're trying to do it ourselves and i'm saying to you you can be the best of whatever god has given you he's given you gifts and talents and and all kinds of wonderful things you can be the very best of that but that is not going to save you and that is not going to be what god is wanting you to glory in but you glory in christ and the cross and that's what paul says in verse Eight, he says, I count everything a loss because of this surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So I count these things as loss in order that I can gain what is truly of value, and that is my life in Christ. And he, he goes on, he says, I want to be found in him, not having this righteousness of my own, in verse 9, but that comes by the law. But I want something that comes through faith that is in Christ. I want this righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, that I may become like him in his death. And therefore, by faith, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, I want it, and I want it in God. Every time I read this, I think of Jim Elliott's words where he says, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this is where we land as God's people. And what he gained was, folks, he gained, in verse 8, the knowledge of Christ. He gained the knowledge and the revelation of God. And th- that... That means much more than knowledge about Christ, all right? Paul had historical information before he was saved, but to know Christ means to have a personal relationship with him through faith, all right? That is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, John 17, 3. That was the prayer of Jesus, all right? And he wants very much for you to know him. Your faith is in Christ, knowing him in a personal way. He also gained the knowledge, uh, not only the knowledge of Christ, but he also gained the righteousness of Christ. And this was the great goal of Paul's life, even as a Pharisee, that he would be a, a righteous man. All right? But it was a works righteousness, and it couldn't really save him. He couldn't really have the righteousness of, of Jesus. But when he trusted in, in Christ, he lost his own self-righteousness, and he gained this righteousness of Jesus Christ uh, a, a technical word for that, would, uh, this sort of kind of transaction, this exchange, would be imputation. You can read that in Romans chapter 4 as well. But it means to put on one's account, 
All right, so the righteousness of Christ. Paul looks at his own record and, and he discovers that he's pure, sort of spiritually bankrupt, even though he's got all these assets. He is spiritually bankrupt, but Jesus puts his righteousness in there. It's imputed to Paul, just as it is to you and I, see. And so he looks at Christ's record and he sees that Christ was perfect. Paul now realizes he can't be perfect, but the beauty is he can have the perfection of Christ imputed to him because Christ shed his blood on the cross and was resurrected. And so the power that is available to Paul now is to receive this righteousness to his account. All right? And, and, and so what Paul discovers is that, that the amazing thing is not only does now God's righteousness through Christ, is this perfection of Christ, get imparted to me, imputed into my account, but here's the big thing. My sin got put in Christ's account. But Christ was able, see, to do what you cannot do and take it away. And that's where we land. And that's where Paul lands here today. And he said, I want you to understand this. I had it all. But when I realized what Jesus had, I realized I had nothing. And none of what I had could do for me what Jesus can do for me. You're never going to be able to find Jesus in your works. But his righteousness has been given for you on the cross. All right, it is imparted to you as that cross takes your sin. Righteousness is imparted by faith. So you're not going to earn it or buy it or trade for it. It is a free gift through Christ Jesus. That's where we find our joy. So if you can transition, if you will, into that place with God, then you have what Paul talks about in verses 10 and 11, and that is the fellowship of Christ. You, when you become a Christian, it's not the end. It's the beginning. Giving up all this stuff is not an end, but you have this personal, powerful, and painful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is a personal experience with you and Jesus. It is powerful because you are redeemed, but it is Christ now that is living in you. And that, that's this beauty. That's Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I'm not living, but I'm alive. But it's Christ living through me. This is the amazing thing. So I have this powerful life now, but there's evidence in Paul's life, and, and it is his exhortation to us to join not only in the fellowship of Christ, but in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And we don't get away from that. But that is the beauty of the relationship we have. It is very personal, it is very powerful, and at times it can be painful. But we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. If you know him, you have fellowship with him, and you are one with him. And you will never earn that. It is the free gift of God. Aubrey, please come. Aubrey's going to share the gospel with you this morning. All right, so as Pastor Bill has very clearly stated, no one can save themselves. No one can um, come to know God by themselves. Um, it is only through what God has done for us that we can know 
who he is that we can be saved from our sins because God gave us the free gift of Jesus. Um, he sent Jesus to this earth to live among us, to show us his love for us, to live a perfect life, and to take our sins upon himself and die on the cross and shed his blood for us, and then to rise from the dead and to um, win victory over death forever. Um, and he's promised us the same resurrection if we will choose to follow him, if we have this faith righteousness that Paul is talking about. And he's promised to come back and make the world right. And um, we have the ability to live with him eternally in the new heavens and new earth. So if this is something that you haven't heard before, um, or if this is something that you've heard a lot of times and are kind of re-examining, as Bill said, your own life today, um, I'm going to have the prayer team come up, and these are people you can come talk with, um, get prayer from them, um, just good people that you can talk to. Otherwise, I will close us in prayer, and you're um, dismissed for the day. God, thank you so much for the work that you have done so that we can know who you are, um, so that we can live in a right relationship with you. Um, we thank you for sending Jesus to us so that we can know you, that we can um, know your plans for our lives and um, know how much you love us. And I pray that we would all respond to this today and in the coming weeks. In your name I pray. Amen.